So I thought I would um, give a quick um, summary of how things went on our first night playing my uh, Frankenstein version of BX Rules. <laughs> As I mentioned before, what we did was I, I created some pre-generated characters. I had seven players. One, one of the players who wanted to play wound up not being able to make it. So we had seven um, mid-level characters that we threw into the fray. Um, we had a fighter, a wizard, a thief, a cleric, a dwarf, an elf, a halfling, and an orc. Um, so I guess we did have all eight. I'm, I'm, excuse me. We went ahead with all eight characters. One person ran two of them just so we could get a look at each class. Um, and it went pretty well there were a lot of starts and stops um because of just kind of getting people real familiar with the, the rule set um you know we've had a couple of players who i think probably started in third edition and so some of the concepts for uh how you pace old school were, were kind of new to them and then a lot of the other people who had played older editions were still kind of rusty so we, we had to stop and think through the rules, myself included, even though I'd read through them several times. It's one thing to read through a rule book. It's another thing to actually implement rules as a DM at the table. So it took us, a, you know, there was some, it was kind of slow going. We played a lot longer than I intended. We maybe went an hour over just because it was also a one shot and we wanted to get it finished um, instead of having to come back and, and do it again. So, uh, the story I had sort of previewed in the last podcast was that they are kind of on a mission to infiltrate deep into the heart of orc territory and uh, defeat the orc warlord Azug III. Uh, when they arrive, they have discovered he has built a tower uh, with a, a wall surrounding it. Uh, and they bypassed the first two levels of the tower because I, I rolled random magic items for... Uh, these characters since they were all fifth level and above and what do you know one person got a rope of climbing so they were able to use the rope of climbing to bypass the courtyard which was filled with um uh clay sculptures which were kind of i kind of modeled them off of terracotta soldiers but they were clay orc soldiers that would have activated when someone got too close to the tower well they they managed to bypass that entire encounter i had a hill giant on the first floor waiting for them that they managed to bypass. And so they, they got past the first two levels of the tower with just by use of a random magic item, which is perfectly fine. That's the way D&D works. Uh, and managed to get themselves very quickly straight into the third level of the tower where the orc warlord and his family reside. And there's kind of a, a, a not a long battle there between the orc warlord and his guards, but during the battle... The orc warlord Azug the Third turns to another orc who is hiding in the room behind him and says, "Go to the old one." And the, the two or three characters who speak orcish pick up on this, but they're stuck in the middle of the fight. Well, they they kill Azug, they kill Azug's son, they kill the house guard, um, they kill the orcs that come running up the staircase behind him at the sound of the commotion. They kill the hill giant, which manages to come up into the stairwell and is trying to squeeze into the to the room or at least reach in and grab somebody um and they they kind of forgot about uh the orc that was told to go to the old one until the the main battle ends so they pursue that orc up to the one one other level and they encounter azug's uh 
queen, uh, who's sort of the last member of the, the ruling family left. Uh, but she is in there with a creature that none of them can identify. It's a humanoid, uh, and when they look at it, it looks... It has orcish features, it has human features, it has elvish features, it has halfling-like features. Um, so they deduce that this is one of the, this old one is probably some, some member of these first people, the first race that, that all the uh, races of the surface, the overworld, are descended from. Uh, and I, uh, I use the stats from, of a lich from the, from the uh, rule cyclopedia to give them a real challenge. Um, and I thought that the, the, I would just wipe the floor with them. This is a one-shot. It was supposed to be a suicide mission, uh, and it did not. It had to run to the portal. I think he got, he got into his portal to, uh, to somewhere else uh, with just like seven hit points left um, because what we found was when you have eight heroes and one villain because they got rid of the one orc in the room pretty quickly, uh, and I didn't use any of the Lich's summoning abilities, um, Kind of like you get, uh, probably doesn't matter which edition of DD, they just surrounded him and <laughs> proceeded to attack, and the numbers are just on their side because they have eight actions to, 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 the, to the bad guy's one action. Uh, so, reminded me a little bit about how uh, I think as Daniel uh, from uh, Bandit's Keep had pointed out in one of his calls at an earlier podcast, there's not really an action economy in BX the way you find in fifth edition. And I'm going to have to account for that when I use solo bad guys moving forward because, you know, the, the, the law of numbers will just stack against the opponent when you've got five or six or more uh, player characters in their party who can just sort of surround it and, and come at it from all sides. And, and the villain only has one thing they can do on their initiative. And if that one thing is spell casting and they lose initiative, their spell is going to get disrupted. So, uh, so a little bit of a learning for me, but in the end, it kind of worked the way I wanted it to. The, the, the villain, the old one, made it into his escape portal, and the tower collapsed around the heroes, burying them all, uh, presumed dead. And then that's where we ended with this uh, event from 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 history. And when we pick up with our our next um, session, it'll be several centuries later, and. We're going to start with uh, zero-level characters, and we're going to do this inspired by Dungeon Crawl Classics, where everybody's going to have a handful of zero-level characters, and we're going to put them through a dungeon, and the survivors get to be first-level characters who will go on to form the uh, the core of the initial adventuring party for the campaign. Um, so that is how things went on our first night. Uh, the feedback I got from all the players is they had a good time. They're looking forward to the next thing we did record the uh session like i said we would but i think just um i've listened to little snippets of it but i think again because there were long pauses and us fumbling over the rules i don't think it would very be very interesting for uh people to listen to on, on a podcast uh so uh and like i said i'm not going to ask people to adjust their play style just to make it more interesting for the podcast so uh, you know, if it gets a little more lively and a little more efficient, maybe a future sessions I can put in the podcast. But I think for the initial one, I'll just leave it with the the play by play I just gave you, <laughs> or the, the 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 final description there. I will describe uh, the actual characters that I pre-generated, just because they 
sort of form historical figures in the, the local area where the cam- campaign will take place. Uh, and you might spot a little bit of an Easter egg from a classic D and D module if you're you're familiar with uh, old school D and D. So the setup is like this: uh, there's an old, now kind of defunct, retired adventuring party that were led by a wizard named Zeligar, the Unknown, and Reagan the Fearless. Uh, so they became wealthy off their adventuring and. Reagan and Zeligar decided to retire to a private base of operations away from other people and just sort of live out their the rest of their life um, in peace so Zeligar could focus on his wizardly studies and they could just enjoy the rest of their lives. Uh, one of their adventuring companions was an elf named Milan, and Milan was not ready to give up the adventuring life, so he goes on to continue adventuring. Uh, and becomes involved in helping deal with this growing situation with the orc hordes becoming more aggressive and more destructive uh, and falls in with a new adventuring party. And then when this plan is hatched to to go deep into the heart of the orc territory and confront the warlord directly, uh, he goes and he calls upon... Zeligar and Reagan to rejoin with his new group, and then this is sort of the core of the party that we have going into the adventure. Uh, the other companions of Milan for this new group are uh, Roderick, a human cleric, and P- Paladin, um, who is devoted to a saint who is who is more about certainly about community and peace and togetherness, but also realizes that sometimes you have to take up arms to uh to, to protect that and so that's sir roderick um seamus the halfling who was just sort of a, an adventurer who has at some point come across a sentient sword and the problem for seamus is he would really like any good halfling prefer to hide and then maybe shoot arrows or throw things at people from a distance to stay out of the tr- the, the the melee but his sentient short sword wants him to charge into battle and they get into a battle of wills whenever melee breaks out Cain, uh, a human thief who is uh, comes from a long line of eccentrics and adventurers, and it seems like every generation, one person in his family is marked for some kind of interesting or peculiar destiny, and Cain seems to be the person who bears that legacy for his generation. Hank Sight, uh, a dwarf of the Iron Grit clan, and what has transpired that comes as a surprise to everyone is. Hanksite has this kind of gunny sack with him, uh, and when they get to the Orc Tower, he starts pulling out these strange devices that turn out to be firearms. It seems that somewhere in secret, his clan has developed a way to use black powder as uh, to shoot projectiles, and so he unleashes a, some prototype firearms on the Orcs within the tower, and the players all enjoyed that very much. Uh, and then they are joined by... Uh, Garzal, Garzal the betrayed. This is the orc who uh, turned himself in, surrendered to Melon, and said that he would lead them to Azag the Third's base if they would promise to defeat the warlord once and for all and put an end to his line. And that's exactly what this party did, and presumably have all died in the process as the tower collapsed in on around them. So. 
to the world at large. These are now just sort of historical figures. Um, who knows? We may see references to them in the coming future. We may not. Depends on where I decide to take the campaign or what just comes out of it organically in the way that the players work with their new characters as they start to develop and explore what I have in store for them. Thanks again for listening to the Arcane Alienist podcast. I'll be back again in the near future with another one. Take care.